this is not an automatic scenario at all. Uh, and Islander fans have much reason to be scared here. I'd almost argue that Tavares is not even the best center for the Islanders right now. Tavares is about 50-50. That was Chris Wassel of the Sporting News and DauberHockey.com. And this is the J Reels Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, how are you? Doing well, I hope. This is your host, J Reels of the J Reels Podcast. Welcome or welcome back. The reason I'm here is to deliver informative, entertaining, opinionated, and most of all, credible sports talk to these airwaves for your edification, whether it's news from the diamond, the gridiron, the hardwood, racetrack, etc. Today's show is focused on the ice. The NHL postseason gets underway tonight. And joining me is Chris Wassel, hockey writer from the Sporting News and DauberHockey.com. We delve into all the juicy storylines of the upcoming playoffs. We also get into what the Rangers are doing this offseason as they search for a new coach. Plus the state of the Islanders and John Tavares, their captain and impending free agent, on whether or not he'll be back with the team moving forward. In fact, at the end of this podcast, stay tuned for my assessment of what the Islanders should do and with John Tavares. I do touch on it a little bit during the podcast, but I'll get into it a little deeper. I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on the tragedy of the Humboldt Broncos junior hockey team in Saskatchewan and how that's affected the hockey world. It's a pretty in-depth discussion on these upcoming playoffs, so I hope you enjoy it. On a different note, after the John Tavares assessment, I will also share my thoughts on the Mets as of this morning, which is Wednesday as I'm recording this. They are 9-1, and one, off to the best start in franchise history. Although it's been 10 games, it's certainly been a great start, and be uh, on the lookout for that at the very end of this podcast. But first, my conversation with Chris Wassel from the Sporting News and DauberHockey.com. Uh, you are writing for the Sporting News and, of course, uh, the other site. Is that your site that uh, you write on? And, of course, off the top of my head, I can't remember what it is. I know it's a long name. But, uh, yes, give us a little background on uh, you moving up the ranks in the uh, hockey world as far as writing is concerned. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a fun thing for people that don't know. I, obviously, you know, writing for writing for the Sporting News uh, more fu- more full-time this year. Uh, but I do, I do, I do a lot of work for uh, Dauber Hockey as well. Yes, Dauber Hockey. Their guides, and I, I help with uh, the Frozen Pool and, and sort of the, sort of the back end stuff. And I do, I do a once a week column for them still for their for their daily fantasy wing, which he, even Daryl Dobbs will admit occasionally he's like it's something that we lack a little bit in mm. uh, because we're so we're so season and prospect oriented. Right. Uh, so I I took that I took that part on a a couple of years ago because no one else would basically do it. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't generate the traffic of other articles. It really doesn't because it's, it's so, it's so time sensitive. Whereas I can take a season long article and it has relevance for sometimes months and years. Uh, whereas daily fantasy, it's literally that day. That's it. Right. I mean, you can go back occasionally and reference a few things here and there for trends, but that's about it. And when when you do both, when you do season long and and you do d- daily fantasy, um, I'm kind of under the thinking that it offers a different perspective uh, w- within the sport. Uh, no, I listen. Uh, I'm not a fantasy guy. I never have been. To me, it's uh, it's almost unethical, uh, for lack of a better term. But uh, I'm sure it's got to be tricky to not only keep up with people's stats and keep up with, you know, lineup changes and things of that nature when you're dealing with fantasy. And then, of course, the day-to-day grind when it comes to sports, uh, or in this case, of course, hockey news 
and uh, trying to keep up with that. Is that a challenge for you to do on a daily basis? I, obviously, we're you know flooded with information day in and day out, but to handle both of those at the same time, does that make it uh, that much more trickier? It is. It, it, there is no way of slicing through this without putting it in somewhat of a, a, a curt way. Um, it's a it's a brutal business. Yeah, it, it really is. And I do a good bit of injury stuff as well. Mm. Um, some some people may have angrily called me the injury ninja in the past. Oh, really? For 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 my insane ability to be at hockey games and injuries magically happening. Um, <laughs> so you're like a bad luck charm in that regard. Uh, well, for other teams, maybe. Right. Most of the time. Uh, but the 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 sad I guess the funniest and saddest story at the same time was probably about maybe five six years ago. I was at a game, uh, home, New Jersey Florida game, and kept looking at a guy's skate. I'm like, something's not right. I was like, you know, that skate looks off. And from playing the game, you kind of know when somebody's equipment is off or something is wrong. Right. At least most of the time. Sure enough, not even two minutes later, I watch a guy's skate completely blow apart. Wow. I mean, it wasn't even like the skate blade came off or some lacings came off. The whole entire thing came off. I mean, basically, he was skating on his foot. Oh, jeez. I don't think I've ever seen unfortunately, that. Unfortunately, yeah, it was truly rare. Um, and the bad part was he was out about two or three weeks with a sprained ankle. Naturally, his skate hit the, you know, his foot hit the ice at a decent rate of speed. Um, lucky it wasn't much worse. Uh, at, at the time, I knew I knew enough. I knew enough beat writers and did a little part-time beat work on my own, mm-hmm. and kind of asked one of the guys from the <clears throat> Miami Herald at the time. I'm like, you know, you might want to check this out, but I, I think your your uh, one of your one of your guys you cover blew out his skate. He's like, no, that didn't happen. I'm like, I watched it right in front of me. It was I was sitting two rows from the glass, and it's kind of hard to miss. And they wouldn't admit it because it was a brand new $950 Bauer skate that they were just prototyping. Oh, look at that! It didn't even. It just was getting to, it wasn't even to market yet. They were literally testing it out in game for in game use. <laughs> you, and it, it just completely just obliterated from, from top to bottom, unfortunately. Oh, geez, unbelievable. And the, the words I got from the guy were not nice, needless to say. Oh. And the funny part, the, the even funnier part is the skater that it happened to actually came up came up to me later in the season uh, when I was when I was covering covering the Devils and was like you were right (laughs) (laughs) just like like, hey look I've had it I've had it happen to me before but it was just a skate blade slid out and that that's not a feeling you ever want while playing a game whether it's whether it's beer league minor league or, or NHL that, that is the worst feeling in the world when your equipment fails you. Yeah, no, and especially the skate because uh, obviously the skate's the most important thing. Uh, I understand it's about scoring goals using the sticks, but if your skate uh, blows out or if uh, obviously you have an incident like uh, that player once did, then, uh, yeah, you're uh, SOL to use the acronym there. But um, 
Let's uh, before we talk about the playoffs, though. I uh, got to get into two things with the locals. Uh, first, the Rangers. Uh, Elaine Vigneault exit stage left. Uh, you figure now they're going to uh, look for a coach. I would think probably before the end of this uh, NHL postseason. Um, I know to some people there was a surprise. What do you think about it, uh, Chris? Was it a surprise that they let go of Vigneault, even with all the moves that they made at the deadline and you know stockpiled all those draft picks uh, for this upcoming draft? I'm still under the belief that they should have done this before this season. Hmm, interesting. How come? I, I know I know they couldn't because of Henrik Lundqvist, and of course uh, today you know today it came out that basically Lundqvist had been playing with a bum knee since about late October. Oh, geez, that's pretty much the start of the season. Yeah, people people are looking at each other like, what? And it's like, yep, yeah, since late October. Wow. So if he was playing hurt that long with a knee issue that's not believed to be related from the William Nylander splashdown plunge from the World Championships, mm-hmm. uh, that's a problem, especially for a goalie that's going to be turning 36 next season and wants to win. Something doesn't quite go together here. Winning with rebuilding team, with goalie that is having issues now uh, that, that he didn't have before injury-wise. I mean, there were the freak injuries with the, with the, with the ear and neck uh, that, that he had a few years back. But Henrik Lundqvist has been, most, for the most part, a healthy goal. Right, and and now you have to wonder. It's like, well, okay, he played through this. What is it exactly? If he's going for an MRI now, is it major? Is it minor? Nobody, nobody knows, and anybody that thinks they know doesn't. Right. Um, now, what do you? Wouldn't, that, oh, go ahead. There's that aspect to it. Oh, sure. Well. And, and that's kind of why you sit there and go, it's like, oh, wow, Vino really survived last year despite everything that happened. And you figured at some point he was going to get fired even during the season. And there were a few times where he was probably minutes or even seconds from being fired and managed to somehow survive. There was a couple couple losing streaks in there where literally, like, if he lost another game, he probably was gone. And he'd find a way to rattle off a few wins. Um, and then obviously the end end of the season come you know from say about February eighth to the end. So the last two months was just a disastrous run south. Right, pretty much. Uh, oh, of course, yeah, pretty much sealed their fate. And then obviously when they made all the trades, you know the Rick Nashes of the world uh, being shipped, uh, and they obviously got a lot back in return. Uh, so you would think maybe in the next couple of years, depending on if these draft picks pan out, uh, the Rangers would probably be back in the mix. Somewhere two to three years down the line. Yeah, they they have they're in they're in rather good position with what they have for their their pipeline as far as goaltending and forwards. Defense is a little bit problematic, but mm-hmm. again, you can always that's what that's what God created the trade market for. <laughs> you know, you can make trades. You you can you can you can swing moves at least. You can sign a couple free agents that aren't going to break the bank necessarily. Uh, it just all depends on what Jeff Jeff Gordon does. Mm-hmm. And also if the fans trust Jeff Gordon to do the right thing at this point, which there's been 
a few rumblings that some in the media doubt what he's doing as far as a plan. Yeah. But based on a certain Russian goalie prospect that they have in, in the KHL and Alexander Georgiev, who was I thought was excellent in net on a, a god-awful team at, at that juncture of the season. Right. I don't think it's all bad for the Rangers. I just think it may take longer than what, say, a Henrik Lundqvist thinks. No, of course. And then uh, to turn our attention to uh, the other side uh, with the Islanders across the uh, river there, uh, we all know this is a an enormous offseason for Garth Snow and company, and of course with the new ownership, trying to do their best to keep a one Jonathan Tavares. Uh, do you think that this marriage uh, will continue, or uh, are we headed for a uh, acrimonious divorce? I don't know if it's going to be acrimonious necessarily, uh, but this is not an automatic scenario at all. Uh, and Islander fans have much reason to be scared here. Uh, look, I'd almost argue that Tavares is not even the best center for the Islanders right now. Mm. Um, yeah, it's true. Nobody knows what Matthew Barzell is going to do next season. Right. Um, you know, he could have he could have the dreaded sophomore slump. He might do even better uh, than, than this season. Um, would would Barzell have to be more of a goal scorer if Tavares left? A- absolutely. Sure. Um, can, can he do that? I don't know because he hasn't really had to do that before. Correct. At any at any level, in reality, he has not had to do that. At least, um, Tavares is about fifty fifty. Jason, to be mm. honest, there's really there's this sort of from people in the know. There's this sort of like, hey, he's pro- likely to stay, but even they're not as sure as they were, say, a couple months ago. Um, if if Garth Snow can. Basically, if Carson Snow can convince Tavares to stay, uh, there there will have to be a ton of assurances uh, that they're going to improve this. What is a very, very defensively deficient roster? No, oh. almost, almost to the point where you go: is this is this Bridgeport, yeah. or is this the New York Isle? I I have not seen. A team this defensive <clears throat> efficient in probably a decade. No, they're hideous, and I haven't watched every game this year. But uh, the Islanders, hey, they could score, as you talked about. You know, Barzal. We don't know about Tavares. You know, Anders Lee, etc. But uh, we both know that uh, if you, what's the old saying? Forecheck, backcheck, paycheck. If you don't do any of that, and it's not just all on the defensemen, it's all the forwards as well. So, uh, and just like you mentioned. Chris, this is a critical offseason for this organization. And just quickly, my take and see you know, if you feel the same. Considering that in three years, they're going to have this new building in, uh, near Belmont Park. We know they're going to play some games out in the Coliseum next year and the year after. I understand they want to try to you know, get that guy, meaning Tavares, back in the mix here. Because yeah. if, they don't, if they don't resign him, and God forbid he even resigns with the Rangers... Uh, I mean, who's going to go to these games? I'm sure the people out in the, you know, on the island who would go to the Coliseum without Tavares. I mean, why even show up when you're pretty much going to start from scratch? Yeah, if you're going to hang your hat on Matthew Barzal, yeah, excellent, that's great. But just like you said, sophomore slump, slump is he going to be able to, you know, prove it again next year? And especially without having Tavares there, you know, in the mix, 
to, to me, it's a recipe for disaster if they do not make a big push on him. If they make a big push and he signs for a dollar more, then you know what? Kudos to the Islanders. You know, you give him all the credit in the world. But if they do not come to the table and bargain for this guy as best as they possibly can, then, it, you know, why even bother owning the team, then let alone having this team play, you know, next year and the years beyond? Absolutely. That's the key in all of this. They have to find a way to re- re-sign Tavares. And I don't know what that magic dollar amount is going to be, uh, but I'm sure it's got to be – if he takes anything less than 10 a year, ten million a year, right. I'll be shocked. They're, they're, they're going to have to pay him. Um, and there's something to be said in this too, Jason. He is going to have to improve defensively. Yes. No, that that goes without question. But I think that's also coaching too, Chris. Not to interrupt. I think that's also coaching too. And you know, Doug Waite, we all know he's a great player and he's had his moments as a coach. But I think in in the right system and with the right coaching, he could be that better defensive player. Absolutely. Tactics wise, it did go south for the Islanders, um, and it's not just when Calvin DeHaan went down, but right. in general, at some juncture this season, it got away from them, and it just got away from them in such a way that. There was no chance of getting it back. No, there wasn't. Oh, yeah. No, without question. And that's going to be the number one topic, especially here. You know, in the New York uh, area, if the Rangers are going to sign him or if the Islanders re-sign him. So, uh, obviously, that's for down the road. But I had to bring that up before we get started. Okay, now, postseason. We're uh, recording this on the eve of the NHL playoffs, the quest for the Lord Stanley's Cup. And before we get to your Devils, I'd uh, like to ask you this question to kick us off. What do you think is the number one storyline heading into this NHL postseason? Oof. Boy, there's a bunch of them. I know, which uh, is fascinating, but I'm curious to find out what your number one is. Yeah, my, my number, the number one is always going to be this because when anytime you have a team that's going for a three-peat, it, it's the old question of who, who is, A, for, for, our old, for the old school listeners, who is this year's David Bollock that will stop the inevitable <laughs> I remember that well. Game it seven. Basically, it, it basically is what's it, what it comes down to this year. Is there a team that can stop Pittsburgh in the postseason? Yeah, that's an excellent point. Uh, I mean, there's a tremendous storylines in this postseason, if you ask me. That's going to be the first one because... You know, we haven't seen the team three-peat since the uh, Islander teams, not even the Edmonton Oilers teams, you know, had a three-peat. They've won back-to-back twice, never three in a row. Islanders, of course, we know they won four in a row in the early 80s. To me, uh, and especially a lot of those storylines are even in the East. Uh, Number one, obviously the Penguins. Number two, can the Capitals finally, finally get out of their own way and make it to a conference final? We all know they've had tremendous heartbreak over the years. You know, 3-1 series leads, you know, going up in smoke. Uh, you know, just valiant efforts from Ovechkin and company, but still, you know, falling short. Uh, you have Tampa Bay. Can they make their, their run with all the acquisitions they made? Rangers South, you know, trying to make it back to a cup final as they did a couple years ago. Uh, you know, to me, all those storylines uh, just in the East alone are, are fascinating and a, and a lot to chew on there. It really is. And then, of course, there is always the Battle of Pennsylvania. Yes. Flyers, Philadelphia Flyers, and Pittsburgh Penguins. Which, uh, if you're if you're if you're a bookie out in Vegas, you're shaking in your boots right now. 
um, just because of what you eventually set the over under in the series at some point in some of these uh, uh, middle games of the series when it goes bonkers because it will. Oh, I believe it. I wish this was uh, 30, 35 years ago because uh, the sport was much different back then and the rules and fighting in that uh, to that degree. But, you know, of course, I'll save that for later. Um, but what do you think about the Devils? I know that's a team that obviously is near and dear to your heart. Uh, do you think this could be a long series with Tampa or do you think this is pretty much going to be one of those uh, short series, uh, you know, five games? And if they're lucky, maybe to stretch to the six. It, it, this is a tough one for New Jersey. I often say this to people, don't always look at the season, the season matchup uh, just because it's usually, it's usually spread out for the most part over a, a period of time. And fortunately, at least the Devils had two meetings relatively close together with Tampa later in the season. Right. And they were, they were two completely different games, Jason. They mm. really were. Uh, the one was basically um, – you know, the Devils' third-string goalie holding on, Eddie Lack holding on for dear life, stopping 48 of 51 shots. Wow. And, and the Devils managed to just hold on and e- eke one out 4-3. to three. Mm-hmm. Um, The second one, a l- just a little little bit later, was the Devils winning, winning 2-1, still being a high-event kind of game, but not to the ridiculous level uh, that, that the game in Tampa, Tampa was. Um, right. And I, I argue, with, I'd argue then that Tampa was a little bit healthier then. They're a bit banged up now, mm. which could help New Jersey. We don't know. We don't know. No one knows how healthy Stephen Stamkos actually is, right? Except for Stephen Stamkos, of course. Right now, um, if he is, if he is even eighty or ninety percent, the Devils are in serious trouble. They, they can't stop. They cannot stop one-timers from the slot and they haven't been able to all year and even the game against Washington at the end of the year even though New Jersey was resting most of its guys you could see it um, there were too many chances allowed in close and snipers like Ovechkin and Stampos are not going to miss from there often Right. Uh, when, when, when they're in their office um, the biggest question in this series is how does Keith Kincaid hold up that that's the, that's the biggest thing in the series. That determines how far the series goes, and it always does in the playoffs. It comes down to goaltending, of course. Um, and, and this year it's a little bit different, just because of the dynamic of yes, scoring is up. Scoring is right near three goals a game across the board in the league. It's mm-hmm. like two point nine seven. So I'll say three for for fun. Um, it's that that magical number that that is sort of a buzzword for everybody. Um, but Kincaid has to play extremely well. Um, he, he's managed. He's managed to keep it together. Some will say he pulled a Sean Burke. Yeah, eighty-eight. <laughs> but, a, but, a, <laughs> but a little, but a little, but a little bit better because again, goaltending was way different then. Oh, absolutely. Uh, shots used to come. Shots used to come from people don't understand this. Shots would come from fast and furious and everywhere. Yep. Uh, back then, and the game, the game was quote unquote, mind you. Slower than Jason, right? Than it is now. Mm-hmm. But yet the shots have somehow just come like a pinball. Um, many a night, especially against New Jersey's defense back then, which he was definitely an adventure. 
<laughs> no, of it's course. Much like it is now in some ways. It's kind of de- it's kind of deja vu too. Uh, the fact the fact that this run happened happened 30 years later is not lost on people. No. Uh, a lot of the old school Devils fans have, have compared parts of it uh, to what what happened in '88. The obvious difference is clinching this year in Game 81, as opposed to needing overtime and pulling the goalie in Game 82. Yes. Uh, uh, of, of 88. Yeah, and I remember that. Uh, I remember that run. It's funny you mentioned that, Chris, because the Rangers uh, on that last uh, day of the season, they played the Quebec Nordiques, and they won their game, and they had to have the Devils lose, and that was the famous yeah. John McClain in overtime. You know, off the the rebound. Which uh, set uh, New Jersey and, of course, Devil fans into a frenzy and knocked the Rangers out of the postseason. And then, like you said, they went on that unbelievable run. You know, they beat the Islanders in the first round of that uh, series in six. I'll never forget, especially that game six was a great one. You know, Islanders were down five. I think it was 6-1, and they came back to make it 6-5. And Pat LaFontaine had that last-minute gasp shot right at uh, Sean Burke's chest to end the game. And I believe in the next round they beat Washington – before losing to the Bruins in seven games, and that was, of course, the famous Don Koharski, uh, Jim Schoenfeld, uh, you know, eat a donut, you fat pig uh, comment uh, in between the uh, corridors there, between the locker rooms. Oh, uh, yeah, and that was 30 years ago. It's amazing that you bring that up, too. Talk about a blast from the past. It, it really is, but that that's the kind of that's the, that's the kind of goaltending that New Jersey needs in, in, in this series. Uh, they're going to face a high-octane Tampa Bay team that definitely wants to put the last 25 to 30 games of the regular season behind them because it wasn't pretty right um they gave up a lot of they gave up a lot of goals they gave up over three and a third goals their penalty kill was below 75 percent uh something that new jersey can attack a little bit um but defensively they they were definitely they they were they were out of gas Mm -hmm. uh the goaltender andre vasilevsky had never played as many games as he did uh this year in any other year and look you get four to six days of rest like like they are most of their players have got you know rest at game 82 uh, to a point or they look like it on the ice against carolina any either way mm-hmm. no of course that's up it set it sets up absolutely where this this ser- this series comes down to yeah, it really is. It really is Kincaid. Kincaid has to keep them in games early. Um, New Jersey's power play, I think, was about sixth in the league since February fifteenth. Mm. Um, they were one of the hot, and basically third since March first. Wow! Uh, right, basically right before they went on on that on that left coast trip on, they've been around twenty eight percent, which is. Pretty damn good. <laughs> They're going to need and that absolutely. They have, they have to. They have to click and click early. They they need that. They'll need depth scoring. Um, there's no. They're going to need a little bit of everything to beat Washington. And if any one of those parts fails catastrophically, it's a fi- it's a five game series. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, no, it's certainly going to be a total order. Right. Right. Yeah, if it, it yeah, if it, if it all if it all goes right, they can win this series. That's the, that's the swing part of this because Tampa, let's face it, Tampa has a goaltender that hasn't been there before. 
He hasn't had to be the guy in the playoffs. Right. Remember, Vasilevsky came in and mopped up a few times for Ben Bishop. Uh, he took over when he was injured a few times and played. Yes, he played well. But it's different when you are that guy and you, there really is no one else. Yeah, that's right. That's how the postseason, it's a whole different uh, ball of wax, that's for sure. You know, the uh, pressure is that much more tighter. You know, you, listen, I don't have to tell you, you know, pressure, uh, playoff hockey, the pressure is just ratcheted times 10. And especially if you're going to get into overtime, we know those games can go, you know, deep into the night. So, uh, and rightfully so. Listen, Tampa, obviously, they, they look like they're, you know, primed, you know, to make a deep run here in this postseason. And I know you mentioned Washington. Uh, do you think that they're finally going to get a monkey off the back? Now, there's no moral victories, as we know. But do you think that they could finally, this will be the year that they can make it to a conference final in hopes that the people down in D.C. could even see another cup final as they haven't seen, speaking of anniversaries, 20 years was the last time they were in a cup final against Detroit. So uh, do you think that they have an opportunity to get that far this uh, postseason? Their chances bluntly ride on Philadelphia. Mm. They need an upset. Right. They, they really do. Um, I can't see them getting past Pittsburgh. There is, there is, as much as you never want to bring up psychological mental blocks in hockey. <laughs> That's unfortunately, them. Unfortunately, Washington, Washington has the mother, father, sister, brother, and whatever relative you want to insert here psychological block. Yeah. When it comes to the Pittsburgh Penguins, they cannot beat them when it counts. No, nope, that's and absolutely. I can't. I can't see it this year. And it's. You know, it's unfortunate. Their defense, their defense is soft down the middle a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they're starting Philip Grubauer, which I actually think is the right choice. Wow, for Braden Holpe, huh? This postseason. Wow. It's bold. I understand that. But um, the difference between, say, a Braden Holpe and a Corey Schneider is, Corey Schneider tore his groin. Yeah. Braden Holpe, as far as I know, unless there's something out there that, maybe hasn't been reported is healthy it's just it's mostly at this point a mental thing for him mm. uh, he's he's looked he's looked bad um he's been a step slow kind of like how carry price was in the early part of the year right and some of that was a tribute to injury but again some of it was mental if you're even a fraction of a second slow it's already too late Especially when it comes to goaltending. Sure. No, and we all know. And yeah, goaltending is. It, it, no, go they ahead. Need it, uh-huh. They needed a jolt. And Grubauer may be, may be enough of a jolt against. Look, against the Columbus team that has their own own sort of problems to get over themselves. Um, Sergey Verbovsky's been, been horrendous in the postseason, great in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Won a couple, you know, he's won some. That nice shiny Vesna hardware um, for best regular season goalie, but the postseason's been a different story. To be fair, most of his starts have been against Pittsburgh, which again will make you look silly at times. Um, but Washington is nothing to sneeze at either. They have a pretty deep offensive core there that can strike quickly, and. Washington, for what it's worth, has a little bit more experience, even though it's mostly been in a failing role right. <laughs> uh, than Columbus. And it's one of the, it's one of those series that literally 
he hates to say this. Who, who chokes last? Mm. Yeah, there you go. Excellent point. You, 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 ne- you never want to say something like that. Right. But the fact of the matter is it's what it comes down to. Who, 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 who blinks? It's not who blinks first because they're both going to blink at some point in the series. Mm-hmm. It's who blinks last. Right. No, excellent and point. The, the prevailing thought is, okay, well, Columbus is on this immense 15-1-1 run, and that should serve them well. So, well, what if they get punched in the mouth a couple games? Then what? Yeah. Does Sergei Bobrovsky start to revert back to, you know, what he's been mostly in the playoffs? Um has he mixed in a few great performances in the playoffs? Yes, but the problem is when you lose that many games, nobody looks at that. They, they look at the result. And when your save percentage is like sub-900 in the playoffs, it sometimes gets tough to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Now, this series might be the best chance for him to do that. Uh, but he has to... I think he honestly has to steal a game early. He must steal a game. One of these first two games, they have to steal in Washington to have a chance in this series. If Washington goes back to Columbus up 2 nothing, the series is over. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, sure. And listen, before we go to the West, uh, I'd just like to get your take on this. Considering there are no, uh, obviously, Rangers out, Montreal out, Chicago out, Detroit out. Obviously, for the big original six, I know Gary Bettman and company won't say this, so I'll ask you this. Does that hurt the NHL going into this, going into this postseason, or does it actually help having other teams in the mix trying to compete for Lord Stanley Cup? Jason, you know that they still have Pittsburgh, right? No, <laughs> Right, they have the defending two-time uh, champs, absolutely. No, I understand that he's left Pittsburgh. That is Gary Bettman's baby. Oh, no, of course. But I would think... As long as they... As long... All kidding aside, it, it is an extremely good thing that there are different teams in. Uh, great to see, obviously, New Jersey in after a five, you know, almost six-year absence. Um, it's nice to see Vegas in their first year do what they've managed to do. Right, we'll get to them in a minute. Um, you know, Colorado's jump from beyond dead last to making the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fun to see some teams build build kind of gradually like Toronto has. Uh, right. Boston's in for a hellacious series once again with Toronto. Yeah. Why does it feel like it's like turn turn back the clock day? Right. And then even you have like a, you even have like a Philadelphia which we don't know what their goaltending is going to do. But they have a pretty prolific offense, and they have a 100-point scorer in Claude Giroux, um, who is basically playing wing and center at the same time uh, for Philadelphia. And, and Bowie's one of, the, one of the better power play units in, in, in the league. Mm. So, yeah, it, it, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a wild ride in that sense and a lot of fun to see uh, what, what may transpire. Sure. Now, let's get to the West. Uh, I want to start with Vegas. We all know expansion team. I mean, they've had the season of, of all time. And we're talking about all sports. You know, we've never seen a baseball team 
in their first year succeed the way they do, NFL, you name it, NBA. And here it is, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights are actually going to be hosting in the first round against the uh, LA Kings. Uh, do you think this Magic Carpari continues with a deep postseason run or even, dare I say, a cup final? Or do you think that this is pretty much uh, the clock almost striking 12 on Cinderella as these uh, playoffs are about to begin? This may sound nuts, but if Vegas manages to get by L.A., they at least get to the conference final. Mm. This is, I can this see is that. Probably, who, whoever they face in round two will not be as much of a test because they're facing L.A. in round one. Right. Um, LA, L.A. has managed to kind of not reinvent itself necessarily. They're still the same basic L.A. team at its core. But they have a little more dynamic ability offensively, and that can scare that can scare Vegas mm. a good bit. Uh, obviously, they have the league's best penalty kill, uh, just right around 85 percent. It's been one of the it's pretty much been one of the best all season long uh, from from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can you you can't count out guys like Drew Doughty. Quick, uh, Ante Kopitar, right? Um, you know Jeff Carter, Tanner Pearson, and Tyler Toffoli, or better known as that seventies line. <laughs> uh, it, it's tough, and they have a defense that is healthy. And this is this is an if, because nobody seems to know how Jake Jake Muzzin is going to be for this series. But if Muzzin is reasonably healthy, that is a top four that can make it very difficult for for Vegas's forwards because well of course Jason Vegas has a question mark themselves with Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau if they're 100 percent or not mm-hmm. so right now it seems like Marcheseau is probable but Smith is questionable for game one and if they're hampered in any way look Vegas plays a puck rush B game especially on the road they don't play it quite as much at, at home at times, but on the road, they push the pace. And their defensive basically are instructed to push the puck up the ice as fast as they can. Uh, a lot of the reason why guys like Colin Miller and Shea Theodore have had the, had the success that they have this year. Uh, you look at Vegas, there are at least a half dozen guys, Jason, that have had career seasons. For oh, yeah. Them. Right. You'd even argue Mark andre Fleury to a point almost. I mean, his numbers are close. Um, he hasn't had the number of starts. And the only time I could think of him having this hot of a stretch was maybe right around 2009 when he just went completely nuts over the second half of the season and it went right into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, and, you know, this, it's a dangerous team. Both teams are dangerous. It, it sets up for the per- – it really does set up as a perfect series of old guard versus the new guard or the expansion guard, right? At, at this at this point, yeah. And match matchup wise, it's just it's a fascinating and fun sort of ride that you don't want to end. You really don't want. This is a series you will want to stay up for. Right, and it's a shame that it's a first-round series. I mean, maybe second round, and if if it was a conference final, I'm sure it would be uh, you know off the chain. But uh, considering sometimes the way sports uh, works out, the way it plays out, 
when you have these series that would be better off in a conference semi or even a conference final, to have it in that first round, it, it almost takes away a little bit of the sexiness for down the road in a sense where you know one of these two teams are going to be gone in the first round, so you're not going to see them down the road again where it would, the stakes would be that much more higher. Exactly, and that's going to be the same kind of thing that happens, unfortunately, with Nashville and Winnipeg. Right. Uh, one one of these teams is going to have to lose, and they're probably, if you want to put it in sort of pecking order, you have Na- you have Nashville, Winnipeg, um, and then Vegas, and then basically L.A. slash Anaheim. You know, as sort of your top teams in the in the Western Conference in theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with L.A. and Anaheim is this. Uh, there's just times where they don't play up to the level of their competition. Right. And the regular the regular season results where, where, where lot, you know, kind of indicate, hmm, well, okay, you know, are they that good? Well, the answer is yes, but the grind of a regular season wears down teams like L.A. and Anaheim a little bit more than, say, a Nashville or Winnipeg that has just a little bit more depth. Even even Vegas to a point, just just because Vegas has such young legs, and you never quite know how that's going to translate. We there's no way of knowing what Vegas is actually going to do. Uh, we all, all we can really go on is what they did during the regular season, how they matched up against LA during the regular season, mm-hmm. and then somehow try to take the crystal ball out and project how this is all going to work in a seven game series. Uh, where famil- familiarity literally breeds the utmost of contempt. <laughs> no, of course. Now, with all that said, breaking down both conferences as we did and getting into uh, detail, who do you think uh, comes out uh, of the East and in the West, and then uh, who's going to hoist that uh, beautiful trophy there uh, sometime in that first week of June? For me, in the East, it's either Boston or Tampa. It's go. It depends a lot on a lot on matchup. Uh, Boston's that one team if they can get if they can get past Toronto not, and somehow find a way not to be too banged up, um, they can they can definitely make a run uh, through through the deep end of the playoffs. I think they match up well against Tampa Bay. Uh, I know the last meeting not notwithstanding uh, because uh-huh. that was just a complete train wreck. Uh, but it's one of those two teams that makes it out of the East, and I'll I'll stick my neck out and, and go with Boston, uh, just because of the experience of, of before and what they've been able to uh, do over the last 55 games of the season, which is win over 40 games. Which, no, I never saw that coming. Right. Uh, at all. Um, in the West, it really is Nashville's conference to lose. Mm. They, they luck out not having to play Vegas more than likely or you know I, either way they're gonna get they're going to get lucky at some point because you have the feeling like the Pacific division has a few few sort of nasty wrinkles up its sleeve um, and they're going to beat the living daylights out of each other mm-hmm. they if they can get if they can get past Winnipeg and their depth suggests they should be able to they actually may have an easier conference final than what the Eastern Eastern winner is going to have. And wow. that's, that's important in the playoffs because we saw what happened last year 
um, where Brian Johansson was so banged up after the conference final, and then he got injured again mm-hmm. uh, early in the Stanley Cup final, and Nashville didn't really ever recover fully after that. Um, it it's it just seems like it's Nashville's year, but. Mm. I guess if we go with the good old, if there's one team to ruin and spoil the party, it may be Winnipeg. Oh, look at that. So that'd be your dark horse. That's a light that, and you know what, Jason? You can't even call them a dark horse because they finished well. (laughs) Oh, no, they've had a great year. (laughs) It's just hilarious because it's like, oh, they're, wow, they they were that good. It's like, yeah, they were just in the same division as, as, as Nashville, but that, that, that's the series. I would argue that's a series that it's a shame it's not a Stanley Cup final matchup. Right. Just because the the top nine depth for both teams is unbelievable. They can score from anywhere. Um, Nashville has probably the best top four defense I've seen in five years since pretty much 2014 LA. Um, wow. You know that that level of defensive acumen and ability, and you have Pekka Renning in that, which has managed to after you know three bad seasons, the last two have been completely different, uh, especially the second half of last year through the playoffs and then this season. And he's 35 years old and he doesn't look a day over 25 on the ice right now. Right. Yeah. He's and probably pound for pound still the best goalie. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough to beat and probably is. More than likely, this year's Vesna winner. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it just it sets up to be one of the most fun and grueling Stanley Cup playoff runs since well last year. <laughs> Is that? I wish I was kidding. I mean, it, it's it's a type of, it's a type of playoff, Jason, that could produce a lot of upsets and. Your 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 NHL playoff bracket could be blown up in about two rounds, yeah, or less. No, and that's the one beauty about the NHL postseason because it can be and is unpredictable. You know, unlike some of the other sports, especially the NBA, where it's pretty you know top heavy, where you know it's either going to be two or three teams to win the title. Where you know in the NHL, you get that hot goalie or you get that guy who's going to you know light up the uh, series. You know, scoring you know six goals in a series that uh, pretty much carries. Their team on the back. Uh, that's one thing about the, the NHL postseason. Uh, you could have that President's Trophy, and you could be, you know, top dog in your conference. And then next thing you know, you know, you're down three games to two, and it's you know three one in the third period with about ten minutes to go, and you get tight, and you, you don't perform. And next thing you know, that 118 point regular season that you had goes right out the window, and you're on the golf course uh, the following day. Exactly, and I've seen it too many times before. I mean, yep. shoot. I mean, damn, I remember, I still remember, like, best example for people out there um, that sometimes will have a tendency to put a little bit too much stock in what the regular season happens. Right. Sort of happens. Oh, dear God. The good old Devils-Rangers series from 94. Oh, one of the great series of all time. The Devils are where the Devils were 0-8 and, and literally a Mark Messier hide stick from winning winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah. It, it's it's still it's still the it's still the biggest non-call that nobody ever talks about. Mm. I mean everybody talks about the the high stick on Doug Gilmore uh, that 
probably Rob Toronto winning the cup in 93. Yeah. Uh, but the Messier one was so much more subtle yet so blatant, especially right. You, you the fact that he actually high six high, high six Della Puka in front of the devil's bench and got away with it. Mm. And you, you hear the, a much younger John Davidson go, I can't believe I just saw that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he even said later, he's like, wow, that actually made a difference in, in, in that game seven because the Rangers obviously scored first early. Right. They were able to hold lead forever. And then, yeah, the devil tied it then lost in, in double overtime. Yeah. But it, it's one of the, it's one of those goofy things. It's like the devils went Oh, and eight. And it wasn't like they, were close in almost every one of those games. They were blown out uh, in at least five of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they lost by three or more goals in five of those games that year. Right. So it it wasn't like it was that close. And somehow that series was way way closer than it should have been. Uh, especially considering that was the that was the year that basically Chris Terreri had to come in and save the Devils from being eliminated by Boston. Right. Um, so. Again, it, it's kind of one of those extremely goofy things where you sit there and go, hmm, okay, and wow. I mean, that, that really happened. So, yeah. If there's a team that that happens this year, obviously, weirdly enough, Philadelphia had a lot of success against Pittsburgh in the regular season. It means so little, right? Oh, now. yeah, no. it's you got to throw it, it out the window. It, it really does. Um, but if they get – I'll say this. If they get league average goaltending in this first round or something close, they can beat Pittsburgh. Mm. That's about what it's going to take. Oh yeah. And, and and the sad part is now league average goaltending is like nine a nine oh nine save percentage. It's actually down a good bit from last season, where it was like nine fifteen, mm. uh, just because goals are goals are up. Um, but that's the one series that look. You could you could actually measure the goals with an abacus <laughs> and an adding machine. Oh. At at times, it, yeah. it's going to be bonkers. Oh yeah, it's, it's, there, there's there's no way with two you have you have two teams with mediocre defense, top heavy offense, and their penalty kill and their goaltending is is more of something that resembles something out of survival mode. Yeah. Amazing, and you know what? One Toronto's the same same way to a lesser extent, right? You know, and then you have basically the West, where well, Colorado at least at home should make it fun for Nashville for at least a game or two. Yeah, Um, just because they they can score at home like like few teams ever can. Mm -hmm. But like, just for the good old old school reference. Nathan McKinnon could be this year's Keith Primo. Oh, yeah. Red Wings. <laughs> where he scores an insane amount of points at home and does next to nothing. On the road. Just because yeah. of Nashville's defense. Uh-huh. Na- no. Nashville, Nashville's defense is stifling. Um, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to see which team that made a late run into the postseason carries the momentum best. It'll be Nashville. I'm sorry, will it be New Jersey or Colorado? Because mm-hmm. those are the two teams that were most in question of missing the playoffs. 
uh, with, with 10 games to go. Yeah. And well, that's where it gets it, it's where it gets fun. It's oh, the yeah. time of the year. Oh, without question. Without question. And uh, one last thing, Chris, before I let you go. Uh, obviously, the uh, tragic news over the weekend, I'd be remiss not to uh, mention that uh, in Saskatchewan with the uh, Humboldt Broncos junior team. Uh, I just read that uh, Sidney Crosby had signed uh, some messages to the uh, bus survivors uh, of that uh, aforementioned team. And uh, despite the fact I'm sure it was all around the league uh, over the weekend, but uh, now on the eve of the uh, NHL postseason, I'm sure that uh, a lot of heavy hearts uh, throughout uh, all of Canada and throughout the hockey world, considering what happened uh, there over the weekend uh, with the uh, Humboldt Broncos uh, junior hockey team. This one... Anyone that has ridden the bus or even knows somebody who has ridden the bus in any sport, it doesn't even matter if it's hockey. If you were on your you know, traveling team or you were with your kid's traveling team and you were on, there is, there is a bond that has no words when you really think about this. Mm-hmm. And for 15 lives to be lost over, I don't know what the investigation will reveal, Jason, right. ultimately. Because there's rumors floating around already that the guy blew a stop sign and all, of all places rule Saskatchewan, yeah. which is pretty hard to do. <laughs> um, but Jeez. I, I cannot unsee the pictures that I saw from the accident. I, I just I, I, t- I tell people don't even look at them yeah it's just don't it, it just because it, it, it'll it'll to say it'll bring a grown man to tears is complete horseshit right. sorry but it, no that's all right hey how it is yeah it, it'll, it'll bring it'll bring any person to tears right because you realize that these players were between the ages of 16 and 21. Mm-hmm. They had their whole lives ahead of them. And then you add in there's coaches and announcers, mm-hmm. and, you know, one media person, and all taken out by what could be best described as just utterly senseless. Mm. And, and in a way that you would never expect it's it's different if say something had happened and there was an accident something failed on the bus this is so much different it's so much worse yeah no just a horrific story it's half it's half a team yeah they're dead yeah that's it you have so you have a, you know, you have several players that are severely injured on top of it. Right. I mean, I, I, I remembered uh, Christian Hansen, the Hansen brothers. Mm-hmm. They, they had, he'd seen a picture on on Twitter of a broken DVD of the movie Slapshot. Look at that. And he, he said it to uh, me, and I think it was Russ Cohen on Twitter. He's like, I lost it. He's oh, like, man. completely lost it. He's like, and, he, and his quote was simple. Anybody who has ridden a bus or knows someone understands just how heartbreaking this is. This isn't just 
this isn't just a Canadian hockey tragedy. This is a sports tragedy. Yes. Of just proportions that we can't even process at this point. No. And the only thing we can do is try to help these families cope with it as best as they can, help them whenever it's needed. Um, I know I'm doing a playoff pool with office pools, and the first thing they asked me before, obviously, what happened over the weekend. And it's like, well, what kind of prize structure are you going to offer for your pool? And by Saturday, I said to them, I I can't. How could I sit there and I was like, we we just put a spe- we just put a special little blurb in in the in the bylines that just say, hey, you know what? Anybody that joins the pool, just donate what you can to Humboldt. Nice. Even even if it's a few dollars, something. I'd say whatever. Um, yeah. You know, even if you're just talking to people that are in the area uh, or friends of, of family, because there's going to be. There's going to be friends of friends of families and, and all the people affected that are going to feel the effects themselves from trying to help. Right. And it's it's not it's not an easy process. Anybody who's gone through a tragedy of of these kind of proportions, uh, whether it be an act of terrorism or just again a simple tragedy such yeah. as this, an unfortunate one. Mm-hmm. Um, you you get what it, what sort of becomes um, survivor's remorse, and it, it's very real. I, I went I went through it simply when my father dropped dead mm. after a heart attack. Oh jeez! Um, and I didn't have time to cope with it because we were trying to bury him. Right. And it was during Thanksgiving of all time. Oh goodness! And I mean. This is this this remember is right during their playoffs. It's a time it's a time of year where things should be joyous, and there there's just there's there's a, a feeling of exasperation that I mean I I saw all the pictures yesterday on Twitter of hockey fans with their sticks at the door. Mm-hmm. Um, some amusing moments where a couple guys had a chalkboard, uh, one guy had a microphone, um, and though it though it's bittersweet and brings a tear to your eye, you at least get a little bit of a chuckle. Going, you know what? We're not just thinking of the players; we're thinking of everybody as yeah. well. Um, and and that's that's important for the hockey community going forward. True. When when dealing with all of this, right. Well, listen, we can't end it on this note, uh, so what I'll ask you is this, uh, Chris. Uh, if anybody wants to uh, re- read any of your uh, articles or they could follow you, uh, where's the best place to follow you and where can they uh, read some of your work? Well, Jason, you can always follow me on uh, Twitter at Chris Wassel DFS. Uh, no question is too big and no question is really too small either, <laughs> especially this time of year. That's right. Um, you you want to follow that Injury Ninja account occasionally for the latest, latest uh, NHL injuries. And, and, of course, you can find my work uh, at, at this time of year. You can find my work over at uh, D- Dauber Hockey. 
we're we're done we're done over at the Sporting News, but I am work I am working for FanDuel and, and Numberfire doing oh. their playoff coverage. Oh, excellent! Uh, as well as uh, a local uh, HockeyClan.com, uh, I'll be doing their playoff previews and and recaps for them. And basically, a nice way of giving an old hockey fan and writer something to do during the postseason, other than cringing at, at the TV screen every time the team is scored on. <laughs> yes, it's amazing to think that uh, the regular season is now in the books, and uh, yeah, let's get it on as a lot of the pucks will be dropping over the course of the next couple of days, starting off with the uh, first game there. Uh, obviously, the Penguins will be uh, in the total uh, spotlight mode when they uh, look to three-peat as uh, they'll be uh, home to kick off against the Philadelphia Flyers. And, uh, Chris, once again, I do appreciate you taking the time out with me to uh, handicap this uh, NHL postseason. And, uh, of course, many thanks, and I'm sure we'll talk uh, down the road. Absolutely, Jason. Thank you very much. All right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris. Uh, Many thanks to him for joining me on the podcast. For further information regarding his Twitter handle or where you could find him or his articles, you'll see that on the show notes on my webpage or also in iTunes, Google Play, uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later on, but the uh, two things I need to get off my chest before we uh, bid adieu. First off, John Tavares. Now, two-thirds of the city do not even know who John Tavares is if he wore an Islander jersey, had skates on, and fell on top of this whole city. He's been a guy that was drafted number one overall, as we all know. Right now, as of this moment, with the Islanders not in the postseason, he has probably played his last game for the New York Islanders, which resulted, I might add, in an overtime goal in Detroit to end their season, which had quite a bit of promise coming in. A lot of people thought this was a playoff team, and obviously they fell very short. The Islanders have had... Very few players come through the pike like this, especially homegrown since the glory days of the early 80s. And obviously going back into the 70s when they drafted all these players, which, of course, I don't even need to get into because if you know you're on the history, you know the players that I'm referring to. But to have a guy like John Tavares, who is a quiet leader, mild-mannered, anything and everything that you could ask for, not only in as a hockey player, as a captain, but even as a person. And with a new building on the horizon in the next three years out near Belmont Park, if the Islanders do not sign this man, number 91 in your program, where is this franchise going to go? As we know, they've only won one playoff series in the last 25 years, which when you think about their heyday, and again, it was a generation ago, when you think about it, that one playoff series in two and a half decades is unacceptable. And we understand that between ownership and between the front office, whether it was Mike Milbury prior to Garth Snow and even Garth Snow to now, to today, because when he was hired as GM, you might as well have hired me as a GM. And granted, I never played the game. I've never been part of a front, a front office. Knowing that the Islanders and what they have not done as a franchise to lead this team to any type of glory has been few and far between since 1983. Now, I'm sure they're going to roll out the red carpet, open up the coffers, and say to John, we want to make you an Islander for life. We want you to be here through this process, 
playing in the Nassau Coliseum over the course of the next two years to split time between the Barclays Center and Uniondale, Long Island. And for the Legion of Islander fans who are out there and, of course, would look forward to seeing number 91, especially out in the old barn in the Nassau Coliseum, they must do whatever it takes to re-sign this guy. And I understand that you may overpay him on the back end if you're going to give him that seven, eight-year deal and paying him you know, upwards of $62 million or $70 million, whatever it may be. But remember when they brought in Alexei Yashin? Remember when they signed deals like that to players who didn't even put forth the effort or didn't do half of what John Tavares has done here in New York? Now, if you ask me, he should be an honor for life. And I'll even go on a limb and say that he's going to come back. Because really, the Islanders have no choice. They had a great year from Matthew Barzal, who I understand they may look to as the future of this franchise or as the face of this franchise. But as of right now, you got a guy that is on his way to a Hall of Fame, has done great in the regular season, and in the small taste of postseason that he's had, He's been successful. Game-winning goal to beat the Florida Panthers in overtime when the Islanders had not won a playoff series in God knows how long. And you want to ride this guy out into the sunset. You don't want this to be a situation like Pat LaFontaine. You don't want this to be a situation like Brian Trottier. You want this guy to wear the blue and orange for his whole career. And if the Islanders and their front office had any sense, they'd know that they need, not half, they need to do whatever it takes to keep him in that uniform. And to know that the new building is about to be erected out there near Belmont Park, to know that there's going to be games in the old barn, to know that they need to add more pieces, especially defensively, as you heard in my conversation with Chris, Because can they score? Yes, they can. But they couldn't defend to save their lives. And obviously, they weren't able to save their lives this year because they're on the outside looking in and certainly on the golf course right now. And I don't know by me saying that he's going to return, is going out on a limb. Maybe it is to a certain degree. But they also have to remember that there's a team right across the river that I'm sure is ready to pay big bucks and steal the spotlight from the Islanders, that being the New York Rangers, They have to be aware of that. So I would think, knowing for their future, for the future they're building, and even more importantly, for the people that pay to go see this team and have seen this team year in and year out, I would think that the Islanders are going to make the right move and do whatever it takes. Now, granted, if they offer him the big deal, and he doesn't take it and goes elsewhere, then you know what? Kudos to management, ownership, for doing what it takes. You can't get on John Tavares if he feels as if he could get a dime more in Toronto or across the river for the Rangers, as bitter as that would be. But how I look at it is that as long as they put forth the effort, as long as they put their money where their mouth is and are able to try to bring him back into the mix because Lord knows, If he's not on this team next year, 
Not only will there be empty seats in the Barclays Center, and empty seats even in the Coliseum, as nostalgic as that would be for the fans out in the island and for around the fans in this area. But boy, not having their captain back in the mix will certainly be a far cry from what could have been if they had him in the mix. Number two, the Mets. Now, they're off to this amazing start. If you recall in my episode four podcast with Jerome and Scott, I said that they this team had to get off to a good start. I didn't expect nine and one. If you would have told me on March 29th they're going to go seven and three, even six and four, now nah, I wouldn't have settled for six and four. I would have taken it. You know, anything beats being 500 or below. But nine and one, and granted, people are going to say, oh, come on, you beat up on the Marlins, you beat up on the Phillies, those two games at City Field. Well, sandwiched in between was that sweep of the Nationals, which makes it that much more sweeter because the Nationals have had our number the last couple of years, especially when Daniel Murphy was in the lineup. But this Met team, the two things that you see so far this year, and again, it is super early. We're not even a tenth into the season. We're only 10 games in. It's a long season, and the Mets are going to have their bumps, bruises, stretches, and Mickey Calloway's going to make us scratch our heads. But right now, he's pressing all the right buttons. But the two things that have certainly been successful in this great start are, one, the bullpen, and two, timely hitting, as evidenced last night. Down 6-4, as Drupal Cabrera, who has been phenomenal. Now, he needs to stay healthy, as we know, He's been on the shelf a couple times in his the last couple, in the last two years as a Met. You know, you got to wonder, you know, are those legs or thumb issues that he's had that have plagued him in being out of the lineup, are those bumps and bruises going to resurface here at some point down the road? Oh, I don't know. Of course, I can't answer that. But he is one of those guys that when it comes up in big moments, when it comes to big moments, I should say, he delivers. He's a good, solid, and even clutch player, especially in his time here in New York. But when you have him, when you have Cespedes, who's been off to a slow start, get that huge hit in the 12th inning against the Nationals when you know he's been striking out left and right and certainly had a rough night at the dish until he got that big hit. You know, Ahmed Rosario's had big hits even you know with the two outs, as evidenced last week against Philly in the afternoon game. Adrian Gonzalez has contributed. Todd Frazier, although the average isn't up, but the leadership and also him just getting on base to be a catalyst of all things has certainly been a positive. And then their bullpen, I mean, what could you say? You know, everybody thought the bullpen on the other side in the Bronx, which uh, hasn't fared too well so far, but again, it's a long season. And by any means, I'm not trying to compare this Met bullpen to the Yankee bullpen. Because if you're going to ask me which bullpen do I want, I mean, I'd be, forget about dumb. I I would just be stupid and ignorant not to choose the Yankee bullpen over the Mets bullpen. But as of right now, they have just been lights out. Getting contributions from, you know, guys like Jacob Rehm, Robert Gazelman, and Seth Lugo, who are luxuries in that bullpen. Because remember, these guys were starters. So you could stretch them out more than an inning. You could get multiple innings, five outs, six outs, maybe even seven outs. From guys like that. And Jeru's familiar. Six saves already in the first ten games of the season. Obviously six of their nine wins so far. I mean, what could you say? Now, he's a tightrope. You know, watching him is, it's tough. 
You know, he's always going to walk somebody, give up a hit, and then he gets his way, you know, gets himself out of it. You have to be pleased from what you see so far. Again, it's way too early. I'm not puffing my chest out. I'm not jumping for joy. I'm not doing any of that. But, yes, have I enjoyed this start? Absolutely. Has it been a surprise? Without question. Again, if you would have told me there were 7-3 and three at this point, I, I'd probably do cartwheels. But if I'm doing cartwheels at 7-3, and three, what would I do at 9-1? and one? We got to remember, again, I'm not going to get on my high horse. I'm not going to look at these 10 games and think that this is going to be a season uh, that they're going to you know, win 110 games. Oh, no. Because I'm sure as quick as this start has been and as great as it's been, we all know that it could turn on a dime. You know, winning nine of the first ten could easily be losing seven of the next ten. Or losing four in a row. Or God forbid an injury with the starting rotation pops up. Or Cabrera's on the shelf. Or Cespedes pulls a hammy. As quick as the start has been, it could go just the other way as fast, if not faster. Giddy, yes. Satisfied, far from it. And I understand Met fans haven't had a lot to chew on despite a World Series run back in 2015 and making the postseason in 2016. But as much as I'll believe and as much as I'll root for this team and as much as I'm happy with this start, by no means, no means, has this team arrived or that I'm satisfied or even think about starting to print up playoff tickets because we're only on April 11th. Come back to me. June 11th, August 11th, but more importantly, where will this team be October 11th if they even make it that far? All right, guys, I have a couple other announcements before I sign off. Uh, I'm going to put up another podcast on Friday. I'll have Michael Tillery, who's an NBA writer. He's written for many publications, New York Times. He also writes for the starting5.net, which is his website. Also has a radio show on rapstation.com. Uh, he'll be on the podcast Friday to handicap the NBA postseason. Also get his thoughts about the Knicks and Nets. Uh, later in the month, I'm hoping to get uh, two writers from the Jets and Giants to talk NFL draft. As we know, that's uh, coming in two weeks. So uh, the football universe will start to rise a little bit from the ashes of the sports month here in April because it's been dominated by baseball. And now with the NHL and NBA postseasons pretty much here, uh, football will be front and center. And I definitely want to get some thoughts from the Jet and Giant riders as uh, we handicap the NFL draft. Uh, also working on a couple other interviews for some time down the road. Uh, working on the NFL guy, NFL cornerback that I mentioned a couple weeks back as far as being a, uh, you know, playing in a back-to-back Super Bowls. So uh, a lot of things I'm working on here behind the scenes for you guys because uh, obviously without you, they certainly know me. And uh, I need you guys in the process to do me a favor iPhone users, Galaxy users, and particularly the iPhone because I'm not familiar with Samsung Galaxy phones. So there's an app that's built into your phone that you're probably unaware of. It's a podcast app. It's purple, has a funky icon of uh, two circles around an image of what looks like a head and torso. I need for you to press that. And then pressing that on the very bottom, if you just hit search and type in the J Reels podcast, boom, you'll see my logo, you'll see my shows, they'll pop up. What I'm asking for you to do is just to hit subscribe, and in doing so, at the very bottom, just scroll, post a review, and also a rating as well. 
Reason why is because that will generate more interest in the podcast universe for what it is that I do, which in turn will increase visibility and even more so on top of that will attract more guests. So if you guys could do that, you could also leave a comment on my website at uh, jreels.com with my email address, thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. I'll be forever indebted to you guys. I am as it is for just you taking some time out of your day to download and listen to the program. But again, as far as visibility is concerned, just go to your app. It's very simple. I'm not asking you to log onto your computer to drop everything. Just like you were to go to Instagram or Facebook, podcast that, boom, go to search, type in the J Reels podcast. Please hit subscribe, tell your friends, forward it, send it to whomever may be interested. Because again, uh, without you guys and without any contributions and any followers, subscriptions, anything like that, without you guys, there's no me. And it goes without saying how much I greatly appreciate it and sincerely appreciate it for uh, all of your kind efforts and your time, energy to uh, go ahead and follow me, follow the program, uh, et cetera, et cetera. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until Friday on the next podcast with the NBA playoffs on the horizon, on the flip, baby.